Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I want to speak on what I've titled Exploring the Realities of the God Life. I won't finish it today, but I'll start today and maybe finish next week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We'll just take this scripture and then normally my style is to go into maybe a portion of scripture and then take it line by line or verse by verse or build my thought around the story. But today I'm just going to do it differently and just jump around a bit. But the key thing is that life is released. Says this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to walk all uncleanness with greediness. Say, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Say, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Then let's land in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God, as their children. Be ye therefore followers of God as their children. Spirit of the living God, we thank you because you are the spirit of truth. You are the spirit of life, O oh God. As we go into your word this morning, let it be a transmission of life. Let it be reality. Let our eyes be opened. Let us come into a full embrace of who you have called us to be and the kind of lives that you have called us to live. Let there be a breaking of every veil, everything that has clouded minds and hearts and philosophies of darkness, let them be destroyed in the name of Jesus as we embrace the reality of your word. For indeed, your word is our reality. It's your word that defines who we are. And it's your word that shapes us into becoming the image of your dear son. This we ask in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Okay, so you see, how many of us grew up using typewriters you were at this stage where typewriters were real. How many of us have seen the typewriters in the last three, four years? You've seen one or you've used one. How many of you have used a typewriter in the past three, four years? Nobody. Okay. I read a story recently about a woman, a lawyer, who decided to take up the case of Nigerian secondary schools when she saw that in the syllabus for GSS, 
right? Part of the curriculum is shorthand and typing. Not in Zaeo in Nigeria. That has five people like you there. Okay, so they are still teaching them how to type. ASDF. William? <laughs> yeah? Do you understand that? So now, I want you to imagine that you were living in the 80s or 90s. You're in GS3. You're going to do what you call junior YEC those days. You know, typing and shorthand was part of the curriculum then. Right? Now, when you want to start that, so back then, it was depending on the school you were in, you either had a manual typewriter, which, right, if you use that typewriter for one month, you don't need to go to the gym again. Because your arms will, will become grabacious. Do you understand? But you also then had an electric typewriter where it was easier on your muscles. Like it was more, should I use the word? It was more, your softer, it was easier to use. Okay. Now, when the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and it says that you are what? If any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. I see, many of us don't know what that new means. And if you don't know what that new means, you would live or desire to express that new within the context of your understanding. Okay? We know that the New Testament was written in the Greek language, right? So I want to give you an idea of what that word new or how new is, was used in New Testament Greek. But you see, that's why I started with the issue of the typewriter. So let's say we were in 1991, okay? 1991, there were not many computers in Nigeria, right? Let's say you were using this, I think the, the typewriter we call Olympia, that's not like Olympia typewriter, I can't remember again. Those of you that are ancient, own up and let us know now. Okay? So we had this type of typewriters, right? Assuming you had this typewriter, the manual one, okay? If I gave you an electric typewriter, what word we use to describe that electric typewriter? New. True or false? It's new, right? Okay? But if I then decided that... Let's say the school, your school didn't marry a typewriter at all. So you wrote to the alumni. I said, come on, come to our aid. We need typewriters for our GS3 students. So some of the alumni now came and they now bought brand new typewriters. Okay? But some guy, you know, in every class, there's always people that you call Ovasabi. <laughs> Did you have it in your class? Some of you were. Some of you were. I can look at some of you, I can tell this one. You'll be like, oh, that. <laughs> okay. So, you always have that oversabi generation in every class. And some of those oversabis, even as alumni, they are still oversabi. Do you understand? So, what this guy will now do, one of them will now say, why are we buying typewriters for these children? Okay, there's a new thing called computers. Let's buy a computer. The word in English that you would use to describe the, the typewriter that was brought and the computer that was brought, you will still call it in English, you will still call it what? New, right? We see in the Greek, they wouldn't call it that. There's a word for new in the Greek that is called neos. The neos new is something that was brought in time. So you have the Toyota Camry. Okay, generally, you know that Toyota, they 
bring new cars, let's say from 20, I'm not much of a car person, so those of you that are, tell me, from 2010 to 20, maybe 13, 14, it's really the same car, right? The only thing is that the car that came out in 2013, I want that came out in 20, and 2010 and 2011, the 2011 one is the same thing with the 2010, just that it was created newer in time. Yeah? Do you understand that? So, that is one word for news. It's called news. That news is the issue of, I want to replace your typewriter with a new one. It's the same typewriter, but it's just a new one in time. This one was created newer than the old one. Now, when the Bible talks about you being a new creature, it does not use news for you. Okay? God didn't send Jesus to make you a better version of yourself. Do you understand? That's not the aim. The aim is not to make you, it's not even to make you a new improved version. It's not like it's Toyota Camry 2010. They now did 2014, added in a few more features. So now maybe this one now has reverse uh, camera. Okay? But essentially it's the same car. They just added a few things. That's not what it means to be a new creature. The word used for new creature is the word kainos. And kainos talks about something of a different quality. Unprecedented. Let me give you the exact words, okay, that the Greek dictionary I have uses to describe the word kainos. Okay? Like I said, I'll take my time this morning because in my mind, this is just first half. Next week, we'll do second half. Okay? Now, when the Bible says in, for instance, Ephesians 4, that we read, verse 24, see that he put on the new man, okay? He says that it's a substance of a new kind, something unprecedented. I like people know English more than myself, so unprecedented, you know, they sound like a big something, okay? Something new, okay? Novel, something uncommon, something unheard of. So, right now, on the face of the earth, there are three kinds of people. There are the Jews, based on their ancestry. Thank you. See? No, no, people know. Okay. I didn't even, my mind even go there. Based on their ancestry. Okay? Then, there are the Gentiles. Now, in the mind of God, you are not a Gentile. Even though, ancestrically speaking, there's any English like that. There's just Jew and Gentile, Abi? right? So if you are either a Jew or a non-Jew, but you see, within, apart from the Jews, based on ancestry, and then the Gentiles who are not Jews, there's a third class of people that Paul begins to tell us in verse 17. It says, "I tell you therefore that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles." Okay? If you read 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, Paul says, I wanted to tell you some things, but I can't tell you because I'm having to talk to you like men. Let me say I'm talking to you like men. That means you're not supposed to be a... Talk to me. You're not supposed to be what? You can just say, men, men. Yeah? Say, are you not behaving like men, men? So, in the eye of God, there's a class of being called the sons... Let me just use a neutral word, the children of God. The children of God are different from Gentiles. Not because of the spelling, no. Hmm? 
but because the life that they have is different. Now, let's look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 1. says, Since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are what? You are what? No, no, you are not talking like people that are dead. You are what? You are what? My aim today, I mean, next week we enter the... My aim today is to organize a funeral service. Here. You are what? It is for you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4. Say, when Christ, who is what? Ah, so Christ is alive. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, many times, because it's, I feel that, let's say you built a house, and when you built it, it was a three-story building, and somehow, one of your friends, for the purpose of this discussion, let's call your friend Emeka. What can I say? Nah, my brother, you're wasting this land, though. Three-story building, when you can build a shopping complex here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, all my brothers of the East. So now, but there's a problem. When you did the foundation, the foundation was done to carry out three-story building. So now that Blood Aimeka said you should, <laughs> so you should build, you should build shopping complex, or depending on where it is, can be chopping complex. Okay, he said you build chopping complex. You know that if you do not examine. Ah, some people are already beefing me. Yeah, sorry, it's a joke. No. <laughs> okay. If, if you don't examine the foundation of that building, what you are about to embark on will end in tears. Do you agree with that? So, and you see, we've been hearing that God wants to do a new thing with us as a people. When the Bible says, behold, I do a new thing. If you were reading that in the Greek Old Testament, that new there, is kindness, something you have not seen before. Okay? So if God is set to do new things for us, we need to check that. And God is a... The Bible actually calls God an architect in Ephesians, right? God, as a responsible architect, is going to check the foundation first. That this foundation that you have built for yourself, is it sufficient to carry the weight of this thing I want to build? Because if it's not sufficient, what God will do first is to deal with the foundation. So that's what we are doing now. That's what I want to do today. To deal with the foundation of what we think the Christian faith is. Okay? The plan of God was that through Christ, a new species, a new breed of humanity would be on the earth. Not a better version of your old self, but a totally new being. Okay, so what does that being look like when a child is born? I hope you know that we only start to calculate birth on this side, right? But that doesn't mean that that's when the child started to exist. I hope you know that. So when the child is in the womb, the child was, the child already had life, was existing in a particular way. Okay, 
Now, when the child was in the womb, the child had a system of feeding, for instance, that it didn't have to do anything. There was just a system of whatever attached to the child that as the mother is eating, the child is just collecting. Do you understand? It did not need the child's will to be involved. The child didn't have to do anything. Imagine that the way God designed life was that once you are born on this side, you start to live by yourself, assuming, okay, assuming. Now, if that child comes to this side and says, this is how we're doing it there. I, will, I refuse to open my mouth. There must be something entering. I mean, like within two days, we will bury that child. Do you understand? Because the reality on this side of the birth is totally and completely different from the reality here. When the child was here, he was in one posture like this. Okay? He had no assignment. Nothing was required of it. You couldn't even see him. Okay, but when it came, but now when the child comes to this side, you have to, guy, you must open your mouth to eat. You understand? So, if you look at that Ephesians 4 that we read, Paul begins to say that when you get born again, when you just believe in Jesus, so if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are what? A new creature, right? Okay, you're saved. There is the believing part of Christ. But there is the learning part of Christ. He says you have not so learned Christ. So that the fact that you believed in Christ and got the Christ nature does not automatically mean that you will start to live the Christ life. You have to be taught it. Do you understand? Now, many of us, including me, when we grew up as young Christians, we were taught to live a better human life. Okay? Now that you're a Christian, don't be saying, Orieda, Igeno. Okay? You were just taught to be morally nice. Okay? Say good things. Okay? A system of behavior was prescribed. Actually, for many of us, really, you are still under the law. It's just that you are under the law, but in Christ, was somehow, in, by bet, you are in Christ. By philosophy and practice, you are, in the, you are living under Moses. Because it's about form. It's not about the life. So, my aim today and next week is to explore what, what does this life look like? What, what does it mean to actually live the life of God? If, if God says in Ephesians chapter 5, He says, be ye imitators of God. What does it mean to imitate God? It means to look at God. Because the word imitate in the Greek, it's the same word where we get to mime. Okay? To look at someone and almost like repeat or reproduce what you are saying. How many of you have been able to look at a monkey before and can do what a monkey can do? But you are seeing the monkey now. Abi, why can't you reproduce it? Because you do not have the nature or the ability of the monkey in you. When God says, be imitators of God as dear children, there's a thought behind that command. The first thought is that you can do it. Right? If God tells you, go to a river, I don't know, anywhere, any river, okay, and you see that fish, be imitators of the fish, you can't, because you are not equipped to live underwater. Even the best of swimmers, you can't live there, except you have marine spirit. 
<laughs> which we will cast out. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> yeah. In your normal life, you cannot live underwater. So, if somebody tells you, be imitators of fishes as dear children, you know that that cannot be your command because the equipment to do that has not been given to you. But you see, if God tells you, be imitators of God, Okay, it means that the ability to live like God has been given to you. Can you say that to yourself? That the ability to live like God has been given to me. I have what it takes to live like God himself. So, we want to go on a journey. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at, see, because when you're born into the earth, you have a biological life, right? But you see, that biological life is put within a system that enables it to survive. If I put a newborn baby in a place without oxygen, for instance, does the child have life? Yes. But does it, has it been put in an environment that can sustain that life? No. So that child will eventually die, right? If I put that child in a system where it doesn't have food and water for two or three days, does the child have life? Yes. Am I putting the child in a context that will support the enhancement of that life? No. So that child will what? eventually die. So we're going to look at, such as I say, it's an exploration. What does the life of God look like? The life he has called us to emulate. And under what sort of systems and structures and environment can this life be enhanced? Okay? But... In the short time I have left, I want to build the thought where it can be settled in your heart that you can, when I say you cannot from here, but there are many things we say in our head. We're just saying it because, like I told you, I can't. Of course, you will say it because I told you to say it now. Okay? But in your heart, you're like, ah, so, God life. Eh? <laughs> okay. My aim is to get this truth in your heart. God has not called us to live a better version of our old life. God has called us to live a totally brand new life. A life that has not been seen before. Okay. To do this, we're going to look at the example of Jesus Christ. Okay. I want to start with this background. That many times when we read the Gospels, for instance, we often read the Gospels with the mind of admiration, where you see that I have this God whose name is Jesus. He did some fantastic things. That's my God, man. Wonderful, glorious God. And I will pray to him. He's so powerful. He will do wonders for me. Okay? However, the guys that wrote the Gospels, they wrote not for you to admire Jesus, but to give you a picture to aim to be. So when John wrote in John 21, I think, or 20 if I'm not mistaken, where he said that there are many miracles that Jesus did that if I wanted to write it all, there would not be enough space. 
But these I have written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing, you may what? You may praise him every day. Is that what he says? You may what? You may have life through his name. You may have what? Life through his name. What kind of life does he want you to have? He wants you to exhibit and express the kind of life that Christ lived on earth. If we read Philippians, don't worry, I said I'm going to dance around, so it's fine, okay? If you read Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus left his divinity. He stripped himself of his divinity. And everything that we see Jesus do on earth, he didn't do it as God, even though he was still God. But his expressions on earth was as a man. And he did that for a reason, to give us a picture of what the God life looks like. And to tell us that if I can live like this, you can live like this also. If you look at the interactions of Jesus with his disciples, when, for instance, one day they were on a boat and Jesus was sleeping. That's another proof to you that Jesus didn't live on this side as God because the Bible says that he that keepeth Israel does not slumber nor sleep. Okay? So his expression here was as a man. The Bible says concerning him that Jesus increased in wisdom. But the Bible also says concerning God that he cannot learn, God cannot learn anything. How do you know that? Because for you to learn means that you can be taught. Say, who has taught him? Okay? So but the Bible says that Jesus increased. So when Jesus was here, even though he was God, his expression was not as God. His expression was as a man that was living in perfect submission to the will of God. A man who was expressing the God life. And that is your destination. Okay? It's not a prayer. It's a, it's, it's just, I'm just telling you. Like they tell you in... Leave it. Okay. So, now, Jesus was sleeping. And then, his disciples... There was a storm, and his disciples woke him up. And when they woke him up, Jesus... First, this was Jesus' first response. Either his first or his last response, but this was one way he responded. He said, O ye of little faith. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Jesus meant that you didn't have to wake me up for this. Do you understand that? You didn't have to wake me up for this. In my mind, as Jesus, I have equipped you. The reason why you are with me is so that you can do these things I'm doing now. See this sweet sleep I'm sleeping now. You now came to wake me up. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why Jesus would do that is because he has a different expectation of this class of people called the children of God. Do you understand that? If Jesus was in that boat with Nicodemus, I can assure you, Jesus would say, Ah, oh man, thank you. Because now die or die, so if you say, you know, wake me up. <laughs> so, you know, because he didn't have any expectation of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was not following him. Do you understand? Nicodemus had not interacted with the life that Jesus carried. Okay? Let me just round off that thought and then we can bring it to a close. So I was talking about how the expectation of Christ was that through his dealings with his disciples, Jesus did not come to show us that we had a superstar God. Okay? Jesus came to give us 
everything that made him do the things that he did so that we could replicate it. So when Jesus said that he that believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. It was not a figure of speech. Okay? I want you to, when you start to read the Gospels, I want you to read it and believe everything the Gospel says. If Jesus didn't say, or if the writer of that Gospel didn't say that he, Jesus was telling a parable, you better believe that it's literal. When he talks about there being treasure houses in heaven, it's literal. It's not a figure of speech. Do you understand? There's a life that God has called you to live. Okay? And I'm going to end today, okay, with giving you a picture of what that life looks like. Let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Okay? Just a picture of what our life looks like. Something that you can think about during the week. And then when we come next week, we will continue it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now you see, in the mind of God, I hope you know that when God made the heavens and the earth, in chapter 1, he didn't make the heaven and the earth to be void and empty. I mean, you know that something happened that brought the earth to the condition of chapter verse 2. Because if you read Isaiah, I think chapter 45, verse 18 or 19, it says that the Lord who formed the earth did not create it to be void. The word void in the Hebrew is the same word that we see in verse 2. It says that the earth was without form and void. Okay? It says he, didn't, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. So when God created the heaven and the earth in the beginning, he created it perfect. Something happened that made God to then destroy that then world. Okay? And in the midst of that darkness and chaos, in the midst of an experience of life that does not look like the intention of God, what happened? The Bible says that the Spirit of God came and began to hover and began to brood. Do you know what it means to brood? The word used for brood there is the same word that when a chicken lays an egg and it wants that egg to hatch into new life, what does it do? It broods. It overshadows it. That's what the Holy Ghost did there. Okay? See so that the Holy Ghost overshadowed that dark life. Okay? Do you understand that? When Mary, in Luke chapter 1, when she said to God, how shall this thing be? Saying, I know not a man. And the angel said, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power of the highest will do what? Overshadow. It's the same thoughts. Okay? That whenever there is a situation that looks impossible, whenever there's a situation that looks dark, a situation that is not at the level of God's design, okay? What the Spirit of God does is that it hovers over that situation and transfers life from within the Holy Ghost into that situation. When life is transferred, then the Holy Ghost then releases words and the next thing we hear is, and God did what? Said. So, that's the life. Because God said in Hebrews 5, he says what? He said, be imitators of me. This is your God. He was confronted with a situation that was contrary to his will. What did God do? Tell me. 
he, by his spirit, he brooded over that situation. He overshadowed it, knowing that he had life within him. And he transmitted his life into that situation. When that situation began to carry the life of God, God spoke. So I want to give you this thought for this week. We'll continue and go in depth. Next week, don't worry, we'll not sing straight. We'll go into the word of God. Okay? I just needed to set this atmosphere. That's why we had to worship God. Okay? But you see, the, the point I'm making is this. That in God's perspective, when he says, be ye imitators of God as dear children, where we are going, if I do this assignment well today and next week, the end will be that anytime you see anything that looks like darkness, eh? go to Philippians. Let's end there. Okay? You will not act like a new improved man. You would act like a child of God. Go to Philippians. Philippians 2. Yes. Verse 14. It says, let's start from verse 13. Philippians 2 from verse 13. It says, for it is God which works in you. Where is God working from? In you. So next week, we're going to look at the concept of Christ as your life. Okay? We couldn't do the funeral service very well, but we'll do it. We'll start with our funeral service next Sunday. We will kill the old life. Because that life is gone. God didn't intend for you to live like a, a moral being, a better being. You know, you were somebody that if they splash water on you, you just say, now you now say, God bless you. That's not the idea. Even though we expect you to do that now. Okay, but the idea is that you are living from such a vastly different place. Okay, that everything that Christ could have done if he was here, okay, you can do it also. But you have to, it says, we have not so learned Christ. So my aim today and next Sunday is to expose us to those realities. But see what he says. Okay, he says that do all things without murmurings or, or disputings, so that you may be blameless and harmless. And the sons of God. Like, what concerns grumbling and being a son of God? People that grumble are people who have resigned to the fact that they can't do anything about the situation. Do you understand? Nigeria is not good. Nigeria is useless. This is my company. What is happening? Grumblers are people who have surmised the situation. And they've said, there's nothing in me that can fix this. So they grumble. They just murmur. Okay? And many of us are in different WhatsApp groups that... The, the major purpose of that group is to complain. Cause Bwari, cause Oshibanjo, cause even cause the founding fathers of Nigeria. Useless people. Why did you even cause Lord Lugard? Okay? <laughs> you are not living like a son. I'm not saying you are not a son. I'm saying you are not living like a son. Because when God created a perfect earth and saw that earth take on another dimension that he didn't intend, God did not grumble. God did not say, Why? It's foolish earth. Stupid people that I made before. See what they've done. They sit down. Came and scattered everything. What did he do? He brooded. And after brooding, he transferred the life in him to the situation. And then he spoke to it. So if we do this right, okay, by the end of next Sunday and beyond, you will start to walk in consciousness that there's something in you. Jesus said that as the Father has life in him, and he gives it to whom he wills, so also the son has life in him. The Bible calls him the life-giving spirit. And guess where that life-giving spirit lives? 
Christ in you, in you. He's living in you. He's living in you. He's living in you. So he says, Christ who is our life. That life, that life that can change anything. That life that can change a dead situation and give it life. Are you not amazed at how Jesus lived? Many of you, if Jesus was a man today, and if God allowed him to marry, many women can marry Jesus. Because Jesus lived a kind of life that looked as if he didn't have plan. I'm serious. Nothing could shake that guy. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you tell a man, Oga, we need to pay the bills, oh. And Jesus told Peter, the children of this world, <laughs> and the, who pays the bills for them? Is it, is it the kings that, if that was your husband, say, we have to pay school fees. And Jesus now, Jesus, your husband now calls you and says, in this world, are there is it proper for the, for the schools to charge or not? <laughs> Will you not say, oh God, bring the money and let's move on? Okay. There was nothing that seemed to face that guy. He met a situation where a man had been dead for four days. I mean, if a man had been dead for four days, we can expect you to say, Mary and Martha, wait. My father! If people are waiting, don't shame me, Jesus. But you even call yourself, you're calling Jesus. <laughs> Did you see how he dealt with the situation? Father, I thank you. Because I know that you always hear me. Can you live with a man like that? Eh? Or there was no food. And this same, your husband told you, my darling, we want to have a party in our family. Invite 5,000 guests. And I said, my husband, this is the budget. And I said, what is budget? Come on, invite the people. And they said, what do we have, my husband? No, I look at it then. And they are just five loaves of bread and two, not even better fish, two sardines. That titles this thing. Won't you call your father and say, father, my father, this husband, you told me not to marry him. I, 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 I was stubborn. I want to come back home. Okay. But you see, he was so aware of the life that he had. That is the Christ that is in you. Okay? That, what happened? He brought it in. I was says, he lifted it up and did what? Give thanks. In that situation, it should be okay for you to say, Father! The time has come. Don't shame me. Because even if you want to shame yourself, you are not here. I'm the one that is here that will carry the shame. We can forgive you too because it's a serious situation. But that's not how Jesus, Jesus, he walked in consciousness of the life. And he, he didn't tell you about this life so that you can admire him. He, he told us about his life so that we can be like him. Stand up on your feet this morning. I don't know how this, where we've stopped. I don't know where it touches you. But just lift up your hand and acknowledge that life is in you. You are my life. 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 I'll live like you. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. Because you are my life. 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 
So I'll live like you. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. For you are my life. You are my life. You are my life. And I'll live like you. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. Let's sing it one more time to him. Jesus, you are my life. 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 So you are my life. You are my life. You are my life. You are my life. And I'll live like you. And I'll live like you. I'll live like you. You are my life. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. You are my life. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. I'll live like you. You are Father, we thank you. We are carriers of the divine life. We are carriers of the divine life. We are new. We are unprecedented. We are novel. We are unseen. We are a generation that there's nothing before it that can be compared to it. That's why Jesus said that of all the prophets that were born, there's none like John the Baptist. But he says even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him because we are unprecedented. Father, we ask, oh God, let that life rise up from within us. Let that life rise up from within us. Holy Ghost, you are the teacher. You will teach us how to consistently live the God life. The life of the new man. The life of the new man rooted in love. Rooted in power. Rooted in faith. Rooted in holiness. Rooted in righteousness. Rooted in possibilities. Thank you, Divine Master. In Jesus' matchless name. We pray.